So what's sacred to Allah? What's Do not be the first one to start. Allah, that is why, you know, sometimes when you walk around some places, you see the, 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 the bad situation. Another set of Mufassireen say no. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem. Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. The 37th chapter from the Holy Quran, Surah Al-Safat, was revealed in the holy city of Mecca with 182 verses. And it appears though that this chapter, the 37th chapter, is amongst the early on chapters which were revealed in the beginning of the Ba'tha of Rasulullah in the holy city of Mecca. Indeed, a chapter that discusses the story of the prophets and messengers prior to Rasulullah extensively. And the reason being is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants people then, the Arabs, the Mushrikeen, who had heard of Ibrahim, who had heard of Isa, who had heard of Musa, who had heard of Harun, who had heard of Nuh, who had heard of all those prophets, Yunus, they had heard of them. To make sure they understand that this Rasul is also similar to them. As in today, when you say that how come this prophet is not an angel, how come this prophet is just like one of us, he eats and he sleeps and he marries and he rests and he gets ill, Nuh was the same, and Ibrahim was the same, and Yunus was the same, and Harun was the same. All of them were ordinary men, with one difference. What was the difference? They're all ordinary men. However, they were backed up and supported by revelation, what's called Al-Wahi. So, they are Bashar, however, Yuha. Ilayhim. They receive the revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is how Allah supports them so that they can prove to the public and to the people that they are the messengers of God. That's one. Another, it was also a message for the people of the book. For the Christians and the Jews who had been long waiting for the last prophet and within the Bible, it speaks of a prophet after the prophet Jesus. That a prophet would come after the prophet Jesus. So Christians until now, they're waiting for that prophet. The prophet that's supposed to come after Jesus. Well, that time, they realized that this man, who's an honest man, who's a noble man, and the descriptions that they had within their books and their texts fit this man, fit the criteria of this man. وَرَسُولًا يَأْتِي مِنْ بَعْدِ اسْمُهُ أَحْمَدْ It fits this man. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to convince them, make it easy for them to understand that the last prophet of God and the prophet that's meant to come after the prophet Jesus, the son of Mary, is this Muhammad. Similarly, until now, you see brothers and sisters, those 
who do not belong to a set of religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here gives them an awakening call by speaking of the taqween, the creation. And we realize that in Mecca, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks, for example, of the creation of this universe, the delicate aspects of this universe, the ayat within us, the signs of God within us, within the human body. And don't tell me it takes a long time for us to comprehend the fact that this body, this complex body, you know, the job of a kidney, if you were to lose a kidney, God forbid, then I have seen people who have kidney failure, you go to a, a, a hospital room, and you find a room full of devices that does the job of the small kidney. And that's not even enough. Right? So when we look at this complex body of ours, we realize this is not just an accident. This is not the creation of mother nature. I don't even know what mother nature means. Does it have a brain? Does it decide for itself? Does mother nature... Who, who made mother nature then? Anyhow, so God gives us an awakening call for those who have no faith, for those who do not belong to an organized religion. That there is a God. There is a God. And this God is create the creator of you, that small ant, that insignificant insect, and He's the creator of this unlimited universe. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those laws that I have sent down, that are the continuation of the laws of Adam and Nuh and Musa and Isa and Ibrahim, are the ones that are meant to make you live at peace, give you a better life, a life of harmony, a life of tranquility. And unfortunately, when we read the Qur'an, brothers and sisters, let me make a very important point. When we read the Qur'an, we realize the Qur'an is not a difficult book. Bring me one ayah within the Qur'an that contains a difficult law. In fact, when Allah speaks of the tiniest of difficulties within His laws, for example, He introduces a law that has a bit of difficulty. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately says, if you're elderly, you, you, you're, 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 you're not meant, you're not obligated to do this. If you're ill, you're not obligated to do this. If you're traveling, you're not obligated to do this. If you're at war, you are at war, you're not obligated to do this. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many verses says that He does not make anything obligatory upon us if we cannot perform it, if we cannot do it. Allah emphasizes on this. But today, unfortunately, when we come to the religion of Islam, we find thousands and thousands of laws. And some of them sometimes can be very exhausting. Sometimes a person who, you know, a, a girl or a boy at the age 14 and 15, when you tell them now you are baligh, you are meant to follow the religion of Islam, here is about 11,000 laws in the book of you have to read them, understand them, and follow them. This is very difficult. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm not saying that we should neglect those laws. The, the unfortunate part is the religion has not become so much more difficult. The explanation of it, following it, has become more complicated. 
I believe the religion of Islam simplifies things. Let's simplify them for the people. Let's simplify them for the young adults. Let's simplify them for the newcomers to Islam. Let's simplify them for those who do not have the best of relationships with the religion of Islam, but they would like to have a relationship with the religion of Islam. You know, they say a guy became a Muslim, so he told his friend, I, look, I'm convinced. I read the Quran on my own. I'm convinced to become a Muslim. So now take me to the masjid. Let me do the shahada. I would like to convert. So he goes to the masjid and mashallah, they greet him and they welcome him and he does the shahada. Then he says, okay, I would like to go back to work. He says, they say, no. Because now it's time for for Dhuhr uh, and Asr prayers. So I said, okay, khalas. we do Dhuhr and Asr prayers. So they pray Dhuhr. He's about to leave. They tell him, where are you going? One hour from now, two hours from now, Asr prayers. So stay for the Asr prayers and then you can go. He prayed Asr prayers. He wanted to go back to work. They told him all those years, you didn't know anything about Islam. You didn't read the Quran. You didn't do any prayers. You didn't do any supplication. Stay a couple of hours until Maghrib. So he said, okay. So he stayed until Maghrib. He did Salah. He, did. he prayed Maghrib. He wanted to go home. They told him an hour from now, it's Salat al-Isha. Pray for Salat al-Isha. So he prayed Salat al-Isha. He wanted to go home. They said, have you done Tahajjud al-Layl? Have you stayed up the night? You prayed to Allah. Had something very beautiful. He said, no, I haven't done Tahajjud al-Layl. So they said, let's do Tahajjud al-Layl. He did Tahajjud al-Layl. He wanted to go home. They told him, where are you going? Salat al-Fajr is an hour. So he did Salat al-Fajr. And then he told them, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to go back to where I was. Sometimes that's what we do. We make it so painful and so difficult and we think that, you know, this is something that is good. Making religion very difficult, making it strict, making it, making it inconvenient for people. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says those laws are meant to make your life easy. Make your life beautiful if you were to follow them, if you were to understand them. So within this chapter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduces the story of the prophets so that he can connect with the Arabs and specifically for the people of the book. That this is the continuation of the message of Ibrahim, Musa, Isa. And similarly today, brothers and sisters, when we live in the West and we are surrounded by the people of the book, this is one way for us to introduce Islam to them. By making sure that they understand that we also dignify and honor Abraham and Noah and Moses and Jesus. In fact, the only religion that respects and honors Jesus besides the Christian faith is whom? Islam. It's the only religion. That is why, you know, sometimes when you walk around some places... You see some people, they come up to you and they say what? What do they say? Huh? No. They say Jesus loves you, right? Has that happened to you? It happens to me. They think that we don't love Jesus. They assume that Je what, what they're probably saying, thinking is, you know, if we tell him Jesus loves him, then he's probably going to be, um, you know, more inclined to study for example Christianity so I tell them I know and I love him too oh really 
You love Jesus? Of course I love Jesus. I have to love him. He's a prophet of God. And he is the spirit of God. And his mother is the... Wow, all this information introduced to an average person. Now, believe me, it's not uh, our task to go around to convert people to the religion of Islam. Because that's what people sometimes they think. They think their task is to convert people to the religion of Islam. That's not your task. In fact, it wasn't even the task of Rasulullah. Allah says, you have a risala, a message, deliver it. That's it. Speak of it. And there's nothing more to it. At this point specifically, we should be able to at least enhance the reputation of Islam. That Islam is not some barbaric religion that's coming after you to hunt you down, to kill people. Islam does not hate. Because this man, this fool actually said, Islam hates us. Islam hates us. Who are you? What do you mean by Islam hates us? If you mean by Christians and Jews, no, Islam doesn't hate the Christians and the Jews. If you mean by Jesus and Mary, Islam propagates the love of Jesus and Mary. And if you mean by an average American person, no, because Muslims living in America are Americans themselves. How can they hate themselves? Anyhow, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down this chapter, Surat As-Safa, chapter 37 of the Holy Quran in the holy city of Mecca. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with a set of vows. And Allah vows many times in the Quran. Allah vows by the times of the day. Those times of the day. What time? For example, wal asr, the afternoon. Wal layl, idha wasaq, the night. And then what else? Huh? Wal fajr. So Allah swears by many times of the day. Now we have to think about them. We have to think about them. By the morning, wal-nahar, wal-fajr, wal-layl, wal-asr. Let's think of them. Why is it that God swears by them? So He swears by the times of the day, the 24 hours that we have and we waste this time. And Allah, in several verses, five verses I believe, five chapters in the Holy Quran, begins a vow. He swears by five plural feminine Vows. One is Surah As-Safat. Dhariyat, number two. Mursalat, number three. Adiyat, number four. And Naz'at, number five. Five feminine plural tenses. Where Allah vows by them. And Allah of course vows in many things. Was Sama, was Shams. Many things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears. But he says, لا أقسم بهذا البلد Allah, it's true he vows, he swears by the morning and the night and the sun and the, 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 the skies and many things. But he says, I'm not vowing by them. I'm not swearing by them so you believe me. I don't need to swear to you so you believe me. So why is it that Allah vows and Allah swears by وَالصَّافَّاتِ صَفَّةِ why? It's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to emphasize at their importance for me and you that listen, there is something very important that's about to be introduced to you. Listen to it. 
Pay attention to it. What is it? Wasafati Safa. The straight lines, the assembled lines. Allah swears by the assembled lines. The straight lines, the organized lines. Safa. One line after another. What lines are they? Many opinions. Could it be the lines of our Salat al-Jama'ah, for example, that are organized or disorganized? Huh? Huh? Insha'Allah they are organized. Every day we continue to say, Istawu, i'tadilu, sawu sufufakum, suddu al-khalal. Stand in the first line. I see some people more standing more in the third line than the first line. Why? In fact, we must fill the first line. Maybe we're standing in front of Allah. We must be organized. Imagine somebody comes and sees the first line halfway. Because, you know, we come in the door, we stand there, but we're too lazy to walk a little bit and go and fill in the first line. And then you see the lines as if the imam... Is, you know, they're telling them to fill in the lines from the imam to the door. So that after the iftar, we are the first people to exit. It's very important, brothers and sisters, especially when we stand in salah, and we stand in salatul jama'ah, to have organized lines. Rasulullah, before he would, after he would do his iqamah, and before he would begin his salah, what would he say? Istawu, i'tadilu. Stand in an organized and beautiful line in front of Allah. You're not facing, you know, you're facing the, the, the Almighty. We have to stand organized. Not only the men, also the women. They have to stand organized. Sometimes you find the line, it's crooked. It's not even straight. But when there is a line, it's a straight line, it's an organized line, five rows, ten rows, wasafati safa. It's beautiful. Lines of people organized, standing to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to do ruku' and sujood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in an organized fashion, subhanallah. That's very beautiful. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says your dua is accepted in those moments. When there is mu'mineen, believers gather to pray to Allah together. To come together to pray to Allah. And after that, we do a dua. Even if it's a small dua. Especially this beautiful dua of the month of Ramadan. Allahumma adkhil ala ahli al-qubur al-surur. And then everybody has to say ameen. Not stay quiet. Allahumma shafi kulla marid. Allahumma... This beautiful dua, maybe less than a minute, but it's very beautiful. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers us, answers our dua. Some people have said no. This refers to the lines of the mujahideen fi sabilillah. Those who stand to fight for the sake of Allah, not the sake of money. Not the sake of money. Not the sake of invading land. Not for the sake of oil, not for the sake of politics, but no, for the sake of Allah. 
Now what kind of war would Allah have? Is Allah trying to pick a war? Absolutely not. That is why in the religion of Islam, the only war is a defensive war. We don't have an offensive war in the history of Islam. In fact, every time, you know, the flag bearer of Rasulullah was whom? Imam Ali. He would always have the raya of Rasulullah in his hand. Every time Rasulullah gave the flag to Amir al-Mu'mineen and told him to go to the battlefield, he told him, Ya Ali, do not engage in the war. Do not be the first one to start the war. If they start the war, we defend ourselves. لا تبدأهم بقتال. And similarly, Amir al-Mu'mineen in the battles of Safin and Jamal and Nahrawan, he told his companions, لا نبدأهم بقتال. We will not initiate the war. If they begin the war, we defend ourselves. Similarly, Sayyidina wa Mawlana, Sayyid al-Shuhada al-Imam al-Husayn on the 10th of Muharram, what did he tell his friends? What did he tell his companions? He says, we will not start the war. But when they send the arrows towards the Imam al-Husayn, he says, هَذِهِ رَسَائِلُ الْقَوْمِ إِلَيْكُمْ The war has begun. And when the war began, a mu'min, a believer, he runs or he stands? Huh? A mu'min, a believer, a person whose heart is full with iman and tawakkul runs or stands? Stands. Doesn't run away. So what's sacred to Allah? What's sacred to Allah? If your country is attacked, that's sacred to God. If your family is attacked, that's sacred to God. If your house of worship is attacked, that's sacred to God. In fact, if you saw the brothers who volunteered after the fatwa of Sayyidina Sistani to defend Iraq, they entered sometimes Sunni territories. They were majority Shia army. They entered Sunni territories. What did they do to the masjids of the Sunnis? What did they do? They cleaned them. They organized them. They invited them, come back to your masjid and pray. What did they do to the churches? I saw a beautiful clip that they had entered a city and the first thing they did was they opened the church and they rang the bell of the church. This is the army of Amir al-Mu'mineen, Imam Ali. Those are the followers of Amir al-Mu'mineen. Hashd al-Sha'bi after the call of Sayyid al-Sistani. While the enemies, what did they do? They took them as captives and they sold them in the market. And Amir al-Mu'mineen himself, he says, when he speaks of khutbat al-jihad, if you want to know jihad from a Shi'i perspective, from the followers of Amir al-Mu'mineen, not Daesh, Imam Ali, and the followers of Imam Ali, Imam Ali has a khutbah in Nahj al-Balagha called khutbah al-Jihad. Imam Ali in that khutbah, he says that I am calling on to you. So you rise, inshallah, one day we will examine the whole khutbah. And you stand against the enemies. وَقَدْ بَلَغَنِي أَنَّ الرَّجُلَ مِنْهُمْ يَدْخُلُ عَلَى الْمَرْأَ الْمُسْلِمَةِ وَأُخْرَ الْمُعَاهَدَةِ and I have heard that they go into the homes of the women because they were by themselves. Some of them are Muslim and others are Mu'ahada, Christians and Jews. He takes her necklaces and her jewelry from her. 
Imam Ali says, the enemies, I've calling you unto jihad, to rise, so that you can push away the enemy, refrain the enemy. Why? Because this enemy goes on to the Muslim woman and the Christian and Jewish woman, Mu'ahada, and he takes from her her jewels and her necklaces. And she, فَتَسْتَغِيثُ bistirham. So she then begs and pleads for mercy. فَإِنَّ رَجُلًا مُؤْمِنًا إِذَا مَاتَ مِنْ بَعْدِ هَذَا أَسَفَ لَمَا كَانَ عِنْدِي مَلُومًا بَلْ كَانَ عِنْدِي جَدِيرًا بِهِ Imam Ali says, if a Muslim man hears this and dies out of sorrow and sadness, he would not be blamed by me. So Imam Ali's idea of jihad is to stand with the weak. Whether it is Christian, whether it's a Jew, whether it's a Muslim. So Allah says, وَالصَّفَّاتِ صَفَّةِ Swears by the lines of the mujahideen fi sabilillah. Those who, who stand to protect the borders of Islam. Those who stand to protect the houses of worship. وَالصَّفَّاتِ صَفَّةِ Another set of Mufassirin say no. Wasafat swears by the lines of the angels in the heavens. That's line up. What do they do? They line up to defend the humans against one another. There is a an idea, a notion that is introduced within the religion of Islam and other religions that we human beings, you know, if the angels were not there to protect us, we would fall into many types of miseries. For example, have you seen kids when they fall from very high places and nothing happens to them? Have you seen that? Has that happened to you? Have you seen that? Or you see a kid, for example, in a very dangerous situation, playing with a knife, or for example, you see a kid, for example, running in the middle of a parking lot and a car comes and is about to hit him. Starts running in the middle of a street. Falls from a tree. Many things. Every day. Who protects those children? Allah. Through the angels. Or for example, you're driving and you're texting and you don't know. Suddenly, you literally, by less than a centimeter, you miss death. That's it. It's gone. Who is there? Who, who's protecting you against that? Allah through the angels. Those angels that line up to protect us humans. Let's read with the Quran now. And we'll understand better. What does that mean? Zajarat means those who repel, those who push away, those who refrain. So is it the angels that protect us daily on this earth? They remove the, 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 the bad situations from us. You know, is it the, the safat, the saf, that is with salah, they stand in salah and they repel the shaitan, they repel, Push away the shaitan. Is it the mujahideen that push away the a'da'ullah, the enemies of Allah? Wazajirati, zajra. But what we know is, faltaliyati, dhikra. They have a dhikr. 
They have a dhikr. What is the dhikr? Dhikr is the remembrance of Allah. Now, they may not be standing there and they are constantly saying, Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. But their heart is full of the remembrance of God. That is why they're there. Faltaliyati dhikra. Now, by reading this, some of you may say, Well, I believe it is salah. No, I believe it's the angels because the angels are constantly doing dhikrullah. Someone might say, No, I believe it's salah because we're standing and we're fataliyati dhikra. And the Quran is, Inna nahnu fataliyati dhikra. What is the end result? All you human beings, all you people, Inna ilahakum. Your God, your Creator is one. Inna ilahakum. Who is this ilah? Rabbu samawat wal ard. He is the Lord of the universe and the heavens and the skies and the earth. And what is between them? He is the ultimate king of the universe. And then Allah says, Inna zayyanna samaa dunya al kawakib. And we have decorated this universe with the stars. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obviously this is not my field of expertise and I don't want to get into it that, you know, talk about the universe and talk about the different planets and talk about different orbits. And I would like to speak of how the Qur'an reflects this. Allah says, inna. Why is it that some places Allah says, inna? And some places Allah say Nahnu, and some places Allah says Allah Himself, refers to Himself. Why is it that Allah says we, and some of, sometimes He says Allah Himself? With this I conclude, pay attention to me, because this is all over the Quran. When Allah says Allahu alladhi khalaqa samawat, Allahu, for example, He speaks to Himself, He speaks about Himself in a singular format. He means one thing, and when Allah says Nahnu, Inna, we, it is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to speak of the natural phenomenon. What do I mean? Meaning this process is a natural process. Allah has created this process, has put a system in place. The system that Allah has created will follow this manner. For example, Sometimes you find someone come and say, we have employed 10,000 people. We have employed 10,000 people. It's his company. He's the CEO. So he says, we have employed. But if he tells you, I employed three people today. It's it him? Does he mean him or the company? Means him. I employed three people. I called my wife. But when he speaks of the affairs of the company or the country, he says, we will go to war with them. We will fix the economy. Meaning I, the head of this, and the system that we have in place. So Allah, when he says, Nahnu inna, it is the system that Allah has created and put in place. And when he speaks of his ultimate intervention into that system, he says, he speaks of himself in a singular format. والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله